The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Please turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. In the recent film series covering the life of John Adams, our second president, there's a sad and disturbing scene where Adams renounces his son, Charles. Charles has disgraced the family with rampant drunkenness and left his wife and children destitute. Adams cannot bear the shame. And so he tells him that he is not his son anymore. In our story this morning from Luke 15, perhaps the most popular of all of Jesus' parables, we see a father who is shamed, not by one, but both of his sons. And yet he does not renounce either one of them. Now, a very common approach to this text is to focus on the younger son who squanders the inheritance and is received back with surprising compassion from the father. Other approaches to this text give emphasis to the elder brother, taking into account that Jesus is addressing the proud religious leaders of that time. For our purposes this morning, I'd like to emphasize that there are three brothers for us to consider, though the third may not be as evident at first. I invite you to follow with me, that we may gain insight into the grace of the Father through the Son. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. And you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Father, I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I doubt there are many in this room unfamiliar with the popular children's story, The Three Little Pigs. You'll remember how three pig brothers venture out into the world and acquire land and building materials in order to build themselves houses. And you'll recall that the youngest of the pigs was lazy. He wanted to build his house as quickly and as cheaply as possible. So he built his house out of straw, despite the warnings of his eldest brother that he would be unsafe should the big bad wolf attack. Well, the middle brother was just a wee bit more industrious, and yet he too ignored the elder brother's warning about the wolf. The middle pig built his house out of sticks. Now, while the younger two pigs were enjoying their leisure with their homes already built, the eldest brother tirelessly built up a solid and safe brick home. Well, as anybody could forecast, the big bad wolf did come. And seizing upon the easiest prey, he attacked the straw house first. And he approached that house and he bellowed, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. And that pig replied, Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And then that wolf huffed, and he puffed, and he blew that house in. Well, not wanting to become a ham sandwich, that pig ran to his brother's home that made out of sticks. And there they shivered and they quaked as that wolf came boldly and confidently bellowing once again, Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. And the pigs inside cried out, Not by the hairs of our chinny-chin-chins. Well, the wolf huffed and he puffed and he blew down that stick house almost as easily as the straw house. Well, with no other resort, the two pigs had to flee and take up refuge in the home of their I-told-you-so-know-it-all elder brother. 
And there they found safety and were glad. As the wolf outside blew and blew, but tried as he might, he was unable to blow down this brick home. And when the wolf climbed on the roof to climb down the chimney, he was met with a boiling pot of water, which upon contact sent the wolf howling away, never to return. In this silly story, the two younger pigs foolishly disregard a warning and are unprepared for the danger looming. In a similar way, the two brothers in Jesus' parable are foolish, trusting in two very different paths to life, and yet are both ill-prepared for approaching danger. I would agree with those who suggest that the younger brother represents the Gentiles, the people who are separate from God without hope in their sin and misery. Theirs is a house of straw that will not shield them from the coming wrath of God. The elder brother represents the Jewish people, those blessed by God's law and his presence in the temple who largely despised the Gentiles. Their trust and their traditions is a mere house of sticks that also will not protect them from the coming wrath. They are equally alienated from the Father. Well, like these two younger pigs, each of the brothers in our parable need a true elder brother with whom they can find refuge. Jesus opens up this parable by having the younger son commit one of the most offensive acts imaginable to the ears of his Jewish audience. No Jewish son would ask his father for his inheritance. He, in effect, would be wishing his father dead. What is most remarkable is that this father complies with the request. Now, it was custom among the Jews at this time for the father to leave as an inheritance a double portion to the eldest son. So for this younger son, he would be walking away with one-third of the estate. Now, the father couldn't just go down to the bank and cash in CDs or call up his broker and sell off stock. Most of his estate was tied up in land, ranch animals, and servants. In order to liquidate his assets, he would need to sell about one-third of his property, likely causing a great stir in the community. This father will suffer shame as the neighbors learn the reason for this sell-off. Well, the text says that it was not many days after that this son took off and left for a far country, and we can understand why when we consider that he may have been trying to escape the scorn and the outrage of the townspeople at his disrespect towards his father. What well, says in the text, in the story, that as soon as this young man arrives in a new land, he quickly squanders all of his property in reckless living. And in an act of poetic justice, a severe famine strikes the land, and the young man finds himself destitute. He is so desperate that he lowers himself to do what no self-respecting Jew would do, feeding pigs. 
an unclean animal. In fact, things were so dire that he even covets the food that the pigs are privileged to eat. At some point, the younger brother comes to himself and he reasons that he would be better off as one of his father's hired servants. And so he writes for himself a mental script of what he will say when he meets his father. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice that he does not necessarily address the shame that he has brought upon his father. I would even suggest to you that his confession is a bit formal. It lacks intimacy. This son does not necessarily want the father as much as he wants relief from his condition. Notice that when he says, treat me as one of your hired servants, he is still offering the deal on his own terms. He wants to call the shots to earn his way back. In reality, this young man is worthy of death. And that is exactly what he will receive without the father's intervention. It says in verse 20 that while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, ran to him and embraced and kissed him. Insightful teachers have pointed out that only a father who was looking for his son's return would see him coming from far off. Others have explained that this father ran to him so that he may meet him and accompany him back into the village community. It would be likely that when the villagers saw the scoundrel returning to the village, they would likely gather up stones to execute him. The father's presence provided protection for this son as he returned. Others have noted and pointed out to us an important detail, that in this time, dignified men did not run. To do so would require the father to hike up his robes and bare his legs, a disgraceful act. This father had borne shame as his son departed from them, and he will bear even more shame with his son's return. Well, after receiving the surprising embrace, the son proceeds to mechanically deliver his, confess, his scripted confession. And we see that the father promptly ignores the confession and quickly orders his servants to bring a robe, his signet ring, and shoes. His son must be dressed properly. He calls for a feast, kills the fattened calf, and essentially inviting the whole community to come and to celebrate for this son who was dead, was alive again. He who was lost has been found. In recent months, another gentleman in our church and I have been making visits to a young man in the Lancaster County Prison. This young man, in many ways, has been running from God for more than a decade, filling up the void in his life with drug abuse and other destructive behaviors. Thankfully, he has been clean for the better part of a year, but fell into trouble with his parole officer last fall and is back in jail for another year. On one visit, I began to probe him gently with questions. 
and invited him to open up, and he did, sharing with us what it felt like, the pressure that he felt trying to make it on the outside, having been in prison many times. How difficult it was to find work when one has a prison record. All of the required meetings that he has to attend, the struggle to measure up to the stressful demands of his parole officer, it is all overwhelming to him. In fact, in many ways, it is easier just to stay in prison, though he desires his freedom and know that God's best for him lies outside those prison doors. At one point, I asked this man what he believed God thought of him. The man was quiet for a few moments and then thoughtfully answered, saying that he figured that God was fed up with him, that God had given up on him, for he had squandered so many opportunities, so many second and third chances to get things right, only to keep failing. My partner and I labored to help this young man see that maybe that's how his parole officer sees him, or the justice system, or perhaps members of his family and former community, but that is not how God sees him. God is not pacing in heaven frustrated and frowning, waiting for him to get his act together. I suggested to him that if he cannot live up to the world's standards, might you seek to live up and embrace God's standard, to please him whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. We tried to impress upon him God's heart, which grieves for him as though for a lost son. He wants the prodigal to return home, like a parent pursuing a lost child, like the families in our church pursuing adoption with children overseas. God desires to make children of those who are lost and without hope. Friend, that is the good news of the gospel. You and I, like this young man, are all prodigals in various ways. We were cut off and condemned, famished by the world, desolate and deceived by its promises, promising fulfillment and satisfaction only to leave us empty, high and dry. Friends, we have a father who suffered shame on our behalf, ridicule for our rejection of him. But rather than despise us, renounce us, We have a father who runs to us to embrace us and welcome us home as sons and daughters once again. He clothes us with robes of righteousness and rejoices over us with singing and celebration. In the next verse, we are introduced to someone who is not in the party mood. This older brother, when he hears the music and choirs, And when he learns that his father has called for a celebration to welcome back his derelict little brother, he blows a gasket. He stews outside in anger, refusing to come in the house in protest. The father must come out to him and plead with him, whereas the older brother proceeds to let him have it. Venting his rage, he pulls out his resume. He highlights his sterling track record of obedience and complains 
that he and his friends not even one time were allowed to celebrate, not even with a goat. The brother is in, the son is incredulous that the father would sacrifice the calf for this shameless brother who devoured his property, accusing him of consorting with immoral women. And we perhaps can understand the brother's rage when we are reminded, as the father next says, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. That is the honest truth. Remember, the younger brother had already squandered the entire one-third of his inheritance. That means that the remaining two-thirds, the remaining inheritance, all belongs to the older brother. The father must cut into that inheritance in order to put on this grand affair. Perhaps we can sympathize with this brother's complaint. Does he not have a right to be angry? Well, as we consider that, I'd like to point out a few things that I believe demonstrate that the older brother committed offenses that parallel the offenses and scandalous behavior of the younger brother. His first offense is the fact that he required his father to leave the party to come out to him. Disrespectful act. It would be in our day like a teenager kid railing against his parents in front of his peers or authorities at school. During my first few weeks in college, I was astounded to hear a hallmate screaming obscenities into a phone with his mother on the other line. Such an act would have earned me a one-way ticket home. The second offense this older brother commits is the way in which he addresses his father. He does not say, dear father, I respectfully disagree. He says, look, and proceeds to list his complaints. Such failure to demonstrate respect were grounds for being kicked out of the house. His third offense is the fact that he demonstrates that in his heart, he really is no better than his younger brother though he thinks that he is. His anger and disdain for his brother demonstrate a mercenary spirit. He shares no love for the father and only in very little, if any, concern for his younger brother. He cannot see what the father wants. One did not want anything to do with his father any more than the younger brother did. He just simply chose a different method of getting what he wanted, perhaps a more respectable path in the eyes of others, but equally contemptible in the eyes of the Father. As Tim Keller and others have pointed out, each of these sons wanted the Father's things, but not the Father. The younger brother had demanded his inheritance to go off on a pleasure shopping spree, He practically had wished that his father were dead. The older brother had chosen the path of obedience, following rules, not out of love for the father, but just to stay in his good graces until the old man had died. He is like the people that Ebenezer Scrooge sees in his dream, greedily going through his things after his death. The younger brother sought life by defining his own rules, 
by the path of independence, seeking self-fulfillment by satisfying his every desire. However, the older brother was really not any better, seeking life in religious performance, while privately harboring contempt for his family, validating himself by comparing himself to others with a judgmental spirit and hosting an attitude of entitlement that his father owed him. If you're skeptical of my interpretation of this passage, I remind you of whom Jesus was speaking this parable to. They were the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling over the fact that Jesus was ministering and spending time with tax collectors and sinners. These were the elder brothers who held disdain for the younger brothers. These were the ones Jesus called whitewashed tombs who laid up burdens on people's shoulders, refusing to lift finger to help them, who wore tassels on their garments to show how pious they were, who prayed loud prayers in public to demonstrate how holy they were, who loved the seats of honor in the marketplace, who crossed over sea and land to make disciples twice the children of hell that they were. Yes, this elder brother is just as much a lost son as the prodigal. Back in the prison block, my partner made an astounding admission as he listened to our interaction. He came and expressed his realization that he really was a lot more like this young man than he had realized. This young man who, with a fearful and insecure basis, was seeking to measure up to satisfy the expectations of, of others, not, for, not in the pursuit of intimacy or fellowship, but merely to look good. And my partner acknowledged that he was really not all that different towards God and towards life and others. I had to admit the same for myself. There I sat in my minister's suit, all respectable, across from a man in a prison inmate uniform, realizing that I was no better. My partner and I are both good at figuring out how life works, how to stay out of trouble, how to build up high esteem in the eyes of others, to get good reviews, to build up a comfortable retirement. But neither of us are any further in a kingdom of God and are in danger of missing the way by pride and self-righteousness were not for Jesus who seeks and saves the lost, not only brazen sinners, but also judgmental Pharisees. I believe that prisoner saw something of the grace of God that day. Friend, are you tired of running from God? Are you weary of pretending for God? Are you fearful and resentful towards God and others. Freedom is not found by living by one's own rules, nor is it found by trying to earn God's favor by obeying the rules. Rather, freedom comes by way of repentance, not only our sins of unrighteousness, but also our sins of trusting in our acts of righteousness. For the only path of freedom is trusting in the perfect 
work, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus ends this parable with a father making his appeal to the son to come in and why he should celebrate as a way to make an appeal to the Pharisees and the scribes to stop judging the Gentiles, the sinners, and the Jews who were unclean and unfit, and to recognize their own alienation from God. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells the high priests and the elders of the people that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of them. Why? Because they have responded to and believed the gospel. They knew that they were sick and needed healing. They are not blinded by the illusions that somehow God is indebted to them. Well, there is one more offense committed by this older brother that I think we need to consider. Not only was he guilty of sins of commission, there's also one glaring sin of omission. You see, in that culture, part of the deal of an elder brother receiving the double portion of inheritance was his responsibility to keep the family together. He was to be the protector and the provider. That's why Reuben tries to protect Joseph when the other brothers attempt to kill him and eventually sell him into slavery. This elder brother had a responsibility to go after his younger brother and do everything possible to try to bring him back. But he didn't go. This younger brother had an older brother who ignored him and didn't come after him, perhaps indicating why he had left in the first place. He just couldn't measure up. I did not grow up with an older brother. I have a sister of seven years, my senior. But my best friend Aaron had an older brother named Dawson. And I believe that through Dawson, I learned most of my foul language and crude jokes. He was an elder brother who was, in many ways, well, the way older brothers are, and picking on us as little kids younger than him. But I do remember one occasion when Aaron and I got into a scuffle. And Aaron being a year older than me and I being a bit intimidated by him, I got beat up pretty good. And after that, I ran home crying there across the street. And not long after I had entered our home and sought the comfort of my mother, there was a knock at the door. It was Dawson. He had come to check on me to see if I was okay. That's what an older brother is supposed to do. Whether you are a prodigal on the run and in rebellion against God, or perhaps if you have cleaned up your act a bit and are more respectable and yet struggling with pharisaical attitudes and disdain towards outsiders, hopefully you can see that both flawed approaches lie in your heart, the way of the prodigal and the way of the Pharisee. Please know that in Jesus, God has sent to us our true elder brother. This parable ends on a minor key. Jesus' audience, like us, would come to the end expecting resolution that never comes. We are left wondering, how will this elder brother respond? 
In fact, the story ends like the book of Jonah, where we find the sulky prophet angry with God for not wiping out those worthless pagan Ninevites. God pleads with Jonah, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city with more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? This older brother is the Jonah of the New Testament, hoarding God's blessings and resentful of a God who goes to find, to seek, and save the lost. Pastor De Bruin reminded us last week that one of our greatest desires is to be found. Are you found? If you're like me, like lots of men, we hate admitting that we're lost. But there's only one way to be found, by admitting we are lost and allowing God to come and find us and bring us home once again. Whether you are in the pigsty of life or sulking outside the party, the Father pleads with you. The one who took great pains, who suffered shame on our behalf, and has sent our elder brother to come and seek and to save the lost, that the dead might be made alive again. Why would you go on being lost when you can come and be found The book of Hebrews says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did not run away from the Father, nor did he feign obedience to the Father, resenting the command to share his inheritance. Rather, he gladly, willingly submitted to his Father's rescue mission to bring back the lost prodigals and Pharisees. Jesus loved the Father and was secure in the Father's love and joyfully laid aside his crown in order to share his inheritance at great cost to himself that you and I might enjoy the full rights as sons and daughters of the living God. Let us pray. Father, we do Thank you that you did not spare your only son, but freely offered him up on our behalf. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, our elder brother, to rescue us, deliver us, and bring us back to the Father. May we walk out of this place with great joy and gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.